0: Tonight's Bible reading is from one John, chapter three, verses eleven to eighteen. So, if you've got your Bibles, you can bring them out. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. For this is the message you heard from the beginning: we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth.
1: Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us in it. And God, we really want to hear from you now. So please speak, give us ears to hear, and through your Spirit's work in our heart, help us to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this virus has revealed some of the best and the worst of human nature, hasn't it? There have been uplifting stories of kindness. You know, For instance, one of the residents in my suburb has started organising hampers for people in need who've lost their jobs or who can't get to the shops. But you know, for every glimpse of love that we have seen, we've also seen the opposite whether it's people hoarding groceries and trying to make a quick buck, selling them at an inflated price, or the fights in the supermarkets, or the racism that many Asian students have experienced, or the stories of people deliberately spitting and coughing on healthcare workers, we have seen some of the worst side of humanity lately too. Now, one thing that's become abundantly clear is that if we are to emerge healthy from this present crisis, then what we most desperately need is love. Love is what will see us through. And so I wanted to take this week to remind you, my friends, of Jesus' command to us to love one another. Let me read from verse 11 again for us. Verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, John is quoting what Jesus said on the night before he died, words that he spoke while kneeling on the floor, having just washed his disciples' feet, the feet of 11 men he knew were about to desert him in his hour of need, and the feet of one man who he knew for a few pieces of silver had just betrayed him. But at the heart of Jesus Christ is sacrificial, self-giving love. Then, in verses 12 to 15, John kind of splits humanity into two groups. He says we are either like Christ or we are like Cain. Now, today there's not time to look into those verses in complete detail because I want to focus on verses 16 to 18 and the explanation of love that is there. But quickly, what John is saying is that either we can follow the example of Christ or of Cain, one or the other, Cain was, of course, the first murderer in human history. He murdered his own brother, Abel. And John says that some of us are like Cain. And you might think, well, I, you know, I'm not a murderer, so that one's obviously not describing me. But actually, we can't let ourselves off the hook that easily. The challenge for us, I think, is which road am I travelling on? The road following Cain? Well, that's a road all about self-serving about not caring for others, which is, I suspect, something that we are actually all guilty of. Cain's road is paved with attitudes that may not be far from us, even if the destination of murder is a long way away. It's a road paved with just indifference to the needs of others. It's a road paved with grudging service if I have to serve at all. It's a road paved with the subconscious assumption that my needs and my wants are what matters most, that I come first. Sure, we may not grab our brother's throat, as Cain did, but it's pretty easy to find ourselves grabbing the last toilet paper on the supermarket shelves with no thought at all to the needs of others. That is the heart of Cain. The heart that famously asks, am I my brother's keeper? You know, it's the heart that is blind to the needs of others. Are we traveling on that road? Or on the road following Christ? which is the road of self-sacrificial love in the service of others, a road which ended in him giving up his own life for us. As we've just remembered this past Easter, Cain or Christ? John wants us to walk the path of love. And so in verses 16 to 18, he fleshes out what Jesus means by that. And the first thing that John explains in these verses is that love gives what I have to supply what you need. Let's have a look again at verse 16. It's not a difficult verse to understand, but living it out is a challenge that's probably beyond any of us. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. True love gives what I have to supply what you need. That is what Jesus modeled for us on the cross, isn't it? And as we, as we look at the cross, as, as we see Jesus die that death, we see both the depth and the breadth of true love. Think about the depth of love that we see on the cross. Think of what Jesus gave on the cross. You know, Over the last summer, as the bushfires were burning all over our country, we were, uh, all of us, urged to make a plan, an escape plan, to know, you know where our emergency assembly points were in the event of a fire, and to know what our treasured possessions were that we would grab and take with us. Maybe it was your passport or your bank statements or something. And it was a difficult exercise to do that, wasn't it? To consider all the things that we would be leaving behind in our houses, good things, things that we loved. Well... Friends, consider what Jesus was willing to leave behind, to give up, to save us. He left the glory and happiness of heaven where he'd been in perfect loving relationship with his Father in the Spirit since before time began. He gave that up to come to save us. And more than that, he voluntarily laid down his perfect, unblemished, sin-free life so that we could be forgiven. Forgiven of our lovelessness, our indifference, our pride, our hatred. Forgiven for being like Cain. He gave all that he had to meet all that we need. And that is the depth of true love. But Jesus also shows us on the cross the breadth of love. Now in these verses, John addresses the Christians there as brothers and sisters. And he's reminding them of that kind of familial bond, You know, the ties that mean that they have an obligation to love one another above perhaps what they might have thought. But realize, friends, this is not a narrow kind of exclusive love. This is not about just loving your Christian brothers and sisters and you know, who cares about everyone else. Because remember, Jesus showed love indiscriminately by dying for people who were not like him. We were not dearly loved children when he died for us. As Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if we're to be genuine followers of Jesus, then this is a time that our love needs to reach beyond the narrow confines of my household, my family, my church even. Now, of course, there are particular familial ties within the church that mean that we ought to be a radical example of what a loving community uh, that shows others how good God's ways are. But the moment that we put up barriers and think that our duty to love just stops there, that's the moment that we have ceased to reflect the love of Jesus. The historian Rodney Stark argues one of the key things which turned Christianity from this tiny, marginalized sect with very little influence or power into the official religion of the Roman Empire was because of the way Christians in the first centuries responded to the plagues that swept through the Roman Empire. Because while the elites of the society fled from the cities, the Christians stayed put. And not just so they could minister to each other, but actually so they could minister to everyone. They risked their lives to serve the people who had mocked, excluded, and persecuted them. In other words, they loved others in exactly the same way Jesus loves others. Jesus' sacrificial death was their model to follow, infinitely deep and infinitely wide. That is true love, giving what I have to supply what you need. Secondly, John wants us to see that love leads to faithful action. So let's have a look again at verses 17 to 18. Verses 17 to 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth." And you notice in these verses that John gives us kind of these two contrasting pairs to help explain what Christ-like love is like. He says, not with words, but with action. Uh, Not with speech, but in truth. And I think what that means, what John is trying to help us to see, is that love leads to faithful action. Have a think about that first contrast there. Let us not love with words, but with actions. That's what verse 17 actually has just been describing. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? All right, Actions, not just words. So do understand that John here, he's not downplaying the importance of words. Words, in fact, are the great work of John's life. He has spent his entire life speaking about and writing about Jesus and Some of the most loving things that we can do involve words, especially now in the time of social distancing. Certainly nothing is more loving than to tell people about the life and the forgiveness that is on offer to all of us through Jesus. And so his point is is not against words. His point is against cheap words where expensive action is really what's required. Maybe you've seen on the news recently the clap for carers movement which started in the UK and it's kind of taking place across most of Europe now. Every night at 7pm I think people are opening their front doors or leaning out of their windows and giving rounds of applause to show their appreciation and support for the workers in the healthcare systems. And it's quite a touching thing to watch people all over the country with this act of gratitude. Maybe you've actually done something like that yourself, perhaps through your social media posts over the last few weeks, voicing your support. That's great, but that's very easy it's a very cheap thing to do, isn't it, compared to, say, obeying the rules that limit my exposure to other people and that slow the spread of the virus. You know, it's much easier to talk about how thankful you are for the caregivers who are still working in the midst of this virus than it is actually to volunteer to serve in the community yourself and to give up the time where you'd otherwise be watching Netflix. Thinking of our own church family, you know, it is easier to express concern for those whose income has dried up and to offer prayers rather than to dig deep into my own pockets and to offer assistance. Love ought to lead to action. It doesn't trade cheap words when what is really required is expensive actions. Now, the second contrast here, that love should not just be in speech but in truth, I think the point here is that love is true to what it says. It does what it is promised. It's faithful. Because it is very easy to pledge your assistance and to make promises, but true love follows through on those promises After all, isn't that the nature of God's love? God promised to help us. Even as far back as the Garden of Eden, he promised to undo the curse of sin and death. And nothing could stop God from being faithful to that promise. Not even our own unworthiness and unfaithfulness. When the time was right, Jesus came to die for the people he had promised to save. You See, love leads to faithful action. I don't know about you, but as I reflected on these verses this week, I realized that I'm often more Cain than Christ. I seek my own needs. I make excuses for what I do. I assume that what's going on in my life is more important. And so I'm happy to inconvenience other people and ignore the cost that they might bear. I, and I think we, need to be reminded that the way of Christ, the way of love, is very different to that. It is to look at the needs of others and to give whatever I can to supply them. The way of Christ is to do what is best for everybody and to inconvenience myself rather than other people. As we finish today, friends, let's think about what this means for us. I've got two quick points of application for us today. First one is this, that we ought to love those who are around us. Love those who are around you. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said that it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general, says C.S. Lewis, may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. It is easy to agree with Jesus that we ought to love one another, but it's a lot harder to love for instance, the specific people that you find yourself cooped up with in the same house at this very moment. You know, as friends, as we face at least several more weeks of our current social arra- arrangements, uh, what does love do in that situation? Love says, I must serve these people. Not how can I fit serving these people into my schedule? Not, you know, what's the most helpful thing I can do that'll put me out the least, but actually, what is the most helpful thing I can do to love them? And there's a million different ways that that could look for each of us. It could involve our hands, you know, doing more than our fair share of washing or cooking or cleaning. It could involve your feet, offering to do the weekly shop, waiting in the long queues at the supermarket. It may involve your ears, just giving people time to listen to their anxieties and concerns. It may involve your lips, speaking words of encouragement and comfort and sharing the gospel with those lacking hope. But whether it's family or flatmates, we all ought to pray and to ask God, God, help me to see what is the most loving thing that I can do to serve these people. That's the first application. The second is this, that we ought to love those who are not like us. In other words, we ought to be the hands and feet of Jesus, uh, not just in your house, but more broadly. And Sometimes that'll mean that you'll, uh, you'll love people that you never meet by keeping the rules of social distancing and staying at home for the sake of other people so that the virus doesn't spread. Sometimes it'll mean actually going out of your way, taking the trouble to volunteer in the local community, finding out what opportunities there are. Because Christ-like love isn't content with simply loving the few. It also seeks to love the many. Now, I think that that would be a great question, actually, for us to discuss at our Zoom meeting after this broadcast. What are the ways that you've come up with during this crisis to love the many? We ought to love those around us, and we ought to love those who are not like us. But, friends, we can't actually finish today just there. Because, you see, wonderfully... Jesus does more than just show us the pattern of love and then say, well, go on then, go and get on with it. Because as we all know, none of us can live up to that pattern. That's the truth, isn't it? Jesus doesn't just give us the pattern of love. He also gives us the power to love. Because, you see, we are not just observers to the death of Jesus. Actually, as we look at the cross, we're involved in what's going on there. On the cross, we see Jesus dying for me, for you. It's you that he loves as he hangs and dies for the sins of humanity. Psychologists, pretty much all agree that if a child is going to grow up to be healthy and to, to be able to show love to other people, then the most important thing that that child needs, more than anything else, more than uh, more foundational, more fun- fundamentally, it's not clear lessons explaining why love is really important or an understanding you know, of what loving acts might look like. What the child needs most is to receive that kind of love themselves because once you've received that kind of love, you are able to show it to others. And what Jesus Christ offers to us at the cross is a limitless, fathomless ocean of love poured out onto us so that we can then pour it out onto others. It is a love that is endlessly deep and infinitely wide. And it is what is available to each and every one of us through Jesus today. So friends, put your trust in him as the one who died for you to save you from your sin, receive his love and then go out and pour it into one another. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love for us, a love that is infinitely deep and infinitely wide. Lord, help us to know that love, that love you showed by dying on the cross for us so that we would be people transformed, people of love. Help us to love you and to love others more than we love ourselves, to walk the path of Christ and not the path of Cain. We ask for your glory. Amen.